This podcast discusses sensitive topics that may contain graphic depictions of violence, substance use, self-harm, explicit language, and other content that some listeners may find disturbing or triggering. Listener discretion is advised. I didn't understand what was happening to me. I didn't understand why it happened. I couldn't understand how to get myself better. Welcome to the Survivor Story Podcast. You are invited to open your hearts and ears to the powerful stories of others. Here, you are no longer alone. You hear your experience, your strength, your hope in the words of others. Join us on this journey as we conquer our past, live in the present, and dream for our future. Together we choose to free our story. Welcome everybody to the Survivor Story Podcast. This is Kevin Colbert, your host. Um, I am so excited for this one. I feel like it takes a little bit of a different um, feel and taste from other episodes that we've had today. We are sharing Kavita's story. Um, Kavita lives in London with her family and one day her whole life changed. Um, She suffered from a subarachnoid hemorrhage, which she told me during the podcast that has a 50% survival rate. And even those who survive, um, many of them have a lot of complications after. And she dives into really her recovery process, what helped along the way, um, and really how difficult and how much focus and strength Kavita had to have to um, stay mentally strong to keep taking the next step, the next step, the next step to keep pushing forward. So, um, you know, the whole time I was kind of blown away of kind of putting myself in Kavita's shoes and like what I've been able to handle all this. And, um, it was also really beautiful to see how her support, her family, um, her friends came in to really help her out through this whole process. And, Um, Kavita is now the speaker and ambassador for three charities, um, for the Brain and Spine Foundation, UK, the Bee Foundation, Philadelphia, USA, and then the Same You Org, which is Amelia Clark's charity, um, for people struggling, suffering from brain hemorrhages and surviving and other neurological conditions. Um, She's an author of the book Room 23, where she shares her story um, and is doing a lot of kind of advocate work for bringing more awareness and help to um, people struggling from neurological conditions. I think one of the interesting things about her book is that um, through this whole process, one, Kavita has had some trouble reading that it gives her a lot of headaches and um, really makes her tired. And she, in her book, wanted to make sure that other people who maybe have a brain hemorrhage or had a brain hemorrhage 
can still gain the value of the book with maybe even not even needing to read it. So every chapter has a QR code that goes to a YouTube video where she speaks her story. Um, and I think that is a beautiful thing to really kind of broaden the scope and offer help to um, those who are even struggling with reading the story or those who even just want to watch the story. I think it's an extra step to really make an impact. And one of the things that I think really stands out in this story is when these big events are thrown at us and our lives are shifted and changed, there is a lot of growing and learning that happens. And it was really apparent how much Kavita had to step into this role and just really struggle, but really learn to navigate life completely differently, to navigate herself, her surroundings, her interactions, her whole personality changed. And there's almost a deeper learning of who we are in this whole process. And I think that's, you know, even though it may be so tough, I think that is a beautiful and amazing thing. So let's get moving forward. Let's let Kavita tell you her story, and then we'll continue on into the Q&A. It was the 17th of March, 2015, and I was just having a normal day at work, but I had a bit of a headache. Um, it was, you know, a bit of a niggling headache. I didn't think anything much of it because I used to experience quite a lot of headaches, um, when um, I was stressed at work or a little bit, you know, there was a lot on. And um, so I actually left work early that evening. And But when I got home, because I'm a mum, I, you know, have two children and a lot of chores to do when I get home, I decided to start, you know, wrapping up my daughter's birthday presents. My son came home from school and help me out and we just got the cake ready and everything and I still had this niggling headache and um, I ended up taking two aspirin and you know sitting in bed you know with my family I usually like to sit around and watch tv and watch you know different programs so we sat together in our bed and watched um, Mr Selfridge one of my favorite um, programs and again my headache just wouldn't go so I ended up falling asleep and you know everyone left the room and it was about midnight just before midnight and basically I woke up screaming because it felt like a sledgehammer had hit through the back of my head right the way through my skull and the pain was so horrendous, it, it jerked me, woke me up. And, you know, I tried to, you know, shake my husband to get him to wake up. And he, he was a little bit dazed. He didn't know what was going on. And um, I then got up off the bed and started running around the room, screaming, saying, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with my head. And I actually just didn't know what it was. And I kept on looking on the outside of my body to see if anything was bleeding, couldn't see anything. And it, what I could see 
was sort of screenshots of the program I was watching earlier on in the evening and it was flashing through my head it just felt like something was wrong and I didn't know what the pain just got worse and worse I then ended up having a seizure and collapsed on the floor and I was unconscious then now with what my family have told me my husband got my daughter and woke her up she was 16 at the time my son was 11 and he woke her up and said there's something wrong with your mum she was running around the room she was shaking there's something wrong with I need your help so my daughter came in tried to wake me up and there was just no movement I was foaming at the mouth and I was lying down and just not responding she then called the emergency services and explained and her voice was shaking she stopped crying so my husband took over and told them you know what he could see and I think they came out within minutes but by that time I'd actually stopped breathing so I was completely gone um when the emergency services came they had to resuscitate me and they had to take me in the ambulance um, to a nearby hospital which did a brain scan straight away and that's only because my husband had told them that this is what she was saying and this is you know what she was feeling and um, they then referred me to another hospital that specializes in neurology and um, they took me in for an operation straight away now my husband um, when he got to the hospital they told him that it's um, not looking good. She's probably not going to make it. And you will probably not be able to take your wife home. Um, it's a very severe hemorrhage that she's had. It's called a subarachnoid brain hemorrhage. And only 50% of people survive. And if she does make it through, um, she is going to be heavily brain damaged and probably not be able to walk or or talk or you know do a lot of things and you know all of this especially because I was and still am a very healthy individual I don't eat meat I do yoga I do meditation I'm very conscious about the way I um, have my lifestyle it was just a really big shock my husband and at the time as well I was only 38 years old and um yeah he was just in shock and he just didn't know what to do broke down he called my mum who lives three hours away my brother also who lives far away he called my sister um both my sisters and um, one of them lives quite close so he said check on the kids before you come to hospital and yeah, so my family just waited around while they operated on me. And um, the operation, the first operation I had was successful to stabilize the bleed. But they just didn't know how I would respond after I woke up because I was unconscious for quite a while. Um, and I think um, because... I've lost uh, quite a lot of memory of that time, but 
you know, I managed to get a lot of the information from family members. But I think the next morning, um, my husband had returned home to see the kids. And the next morning he got another call to say she's not responding as well as they thought. So we need to operate on her again. And that's when they did the second operation. And that was to coil the aneurysm. Um, and they said, now we have to wait for a week to 10 days to see how she responds to, you know, what they've done. I was in hospital for a good two months. And every morning I would wake up not knowing where I was, who I was, what had happened. And I would ask the same questions every morning to my family, to my husband. I'd forgotten a lot of people and who they were. And also, you know, I like I used to say things like it's um, 1985 and, you know, name a president that was, you know, president at that time. And I would say that, oh, I'm in hospital because I've just had a baby. My mind was trying to make sense of why I was there. So it was it was a very confusing time, not just for me, but for my family, because they just didn't know what was um, going on. They were all very shocked and no one had ever heard of someone that they knew having a brain hemorrhage, let alone someone who was so healthy like me that sort of had it. It was just a big shock for everyone. I think it was about a week or 10 days even. Um, while I was in there and my husband used to come every day he used to you know dress me feed me everything because I was just quite unable to do a lot of things and he was feeding me once and talking to me and I have a blurred memory of this and suddenly while I was having the conversation he said to me what what's happened are you okay why why are you not talking properly and basically I was uh, talking to him and then Suddenly, I started to experience a second stroke and the whole left side of my body had dropped and sort of stopped working. And, um, yeah, I started to uh, slur my words and he could see it. He could see that I just wasn't right and started screaming and saying, you know, to the doctors and nurses, you know, something wrong, something wrong. And they had to take me back into ICU and at that time they told him again that it's just not looking good she's had another stroke and again we don't know what the outcome's going to be and we don't know if she's going to make it through that was when they did the third operation where they I think they injected fluids into my legs top of my legs to pump it up to relieve whatever the clot was you know that was um near to where it was affecting me and um they also then attached a drain to my brain to relieve the fluid that was building up around it um and that was an external um drain which it was attached to a drip and um yeah that was the third operation and they, they wanted to then they they decided that it would be best for me 
to have a shunt inside, which was basically putting the external drain but inside my body and connecting it to my bladder because my brain just wouldn't work by itself. So they would need it would need this help to regulate the fluid. And so while I was in there, it wasn't great <laughs> because I then caught meningitis. <laughs> so it was um yeah, not a great time for me. Um so they couldn't do the operation, um, which was going to be the fourth one. And I became really, really, really unwell, bedridden, couldn't even sit up, couldn't do anything. I couldn't even eat. I lost a lot of weight. I think I went down to about six stone. And they basically told my husband that until the meningitis goes away, we are not able to operate. And um, at that point, um, I think there was a priest that came that one of my relatives I wasn't allowed any visitors because of the um, problems with catching other infections and, and things like that so they were quite strict on letting people come to see me but there was this priest that came all the way from India actually and he told my one of my relatives that I need you to take me to Manchester to see your niece because she is unwell and she needs my help. Now we hadn't told him anything, so I don't know if he had a, some sort of vision or some sort of, um, you know, thing that that t- told him that I was unwell. And even my auntie, who picked him up from the airport, was so shocked because she she was just thinking, how does he know that she's actually there? And he actually came to the hospital. And he wanted to say a few prayers, put his hand on my head. If something really um, unexplainable happened at that point. I mean, I've written about it in my book, but I, you know, it was just I can't explain the what happened to me. But I felt like I completely changed. Like there was, it just felt like a rush of energy that went through me. The next day, the meningitis completely went, and within a few days, they operated and did my fourth operation. And um, after that, it was um, the start of my recovery, and I was released from hospital a few days later. But um, I think one of the really important things that I experienced sort of after coming out of hospital um, was that I was left to my own devices of starting my recovery. I didn't find any information out there. I couldn't, like the, being in hospital and being with the doctors and being looked after and being treated was amazing. And they did such an amazing job. But then to come home and not look yourself because my hair was shaved down one side and uh, at the back and I'd lost so much weight I could you could see my skin and bones and then to not be able to walk properly not be able to see things properly couldn't take noises I was just I came home as a different person 
I didn't understand what was happening to me. I didn't understand why it happened. I couldn't understand how to get myself better. I'm, I'm quite a confident, well, I was a very confident individual who took pride in how they looked and everything. And for me to come home and look the way I did and feel the way I did and not even understand what I was going through, it was really hard. And um, for the first few weeks, I had to stay in my bed upstairs. My, my husband had to carry me up the stairs because I couldn't walk. I lost my coordination, so I didn't, I didn't know how to climb stairs. And he just looked after me and was confined to my bedroom. But what he did do, which was really helpful, was um, he told me to keep a diary. He told me to write everything down, how I was feeling, what I did that day, because I used to forget everything. And he said, make sure you keep a diary. Here's a book. Here's a pen next to you. And just write everything down. And also, while I was in hospital, because he knew that I just forgot every day, he would record me on his phone. So when I came home, I continued doing that. So I used to record myself every day while when I came out to say what I did that day, how I... It, any challenges I had, how I overcame them. So it was, it was like my own video diary. And that really helped me because I could see every day by day the progress I was making. And I could also see the um, benefits of me doing a little bit more each day. So just imagine I could only watch two minutes of TV and then I would be sick. I could only, I couldn't sit through a meal with my family without being sick about five or six times. And my little son used to keep on saying to my husband, why is mummy always sick? Why, what's wrong with mummy? Why is she always sick? And he didn't really understand. It was just really, really difficult. But I started to train myself to be able to listen to noise again. Like I put things on very quietly while I was doing things. Then I'd increase the volume every day. I did the same with the TV. I pushed myself to watch three minutes and four minutes and, you know, until it was half an hour. And then it, I would give my brain a rest. With reading, I, I noticed that I, when I read pages I missed words and missed sentences so I could see where the problems were and that's when I reached out to the hospital again and said that I need some help I need help with therapy because I don't want to see anyone I don't want to leave my home I I need physiotherapy I need to get mental health therapy um, so I reached out and I managed to get, you know, some of the help that I needed. And with doing that, I managed to start to improve 
my well-being and the therapy really really helped it just changed the way I thought about everything because I was going through this downhill spiral losing all my confidence and everything and um, when I went to the Priory which is you know it's a private hospital here they the the therapist there explained to me that I should look at point that I'm actually here that I'm with my family and that I've actually made it through and use that as a positive rather than a negative and from that it I just came out thinking actually I'm going to beat this I'm going to get better and I'm going to get my life back and my physiotherapy helped me because I was hunched over for so long in, in a hospital bed that my neck and head was pushed forward my body shape was hunched I my walking was was just horrible I just didn't I, I was I looked like a very very old fragile woman but I was in my 30s and um, the physiotherapist helped me get back to you know a little bit being a little bit more normal again and then I also went to neuropsychology, which helped. Now, at that point, then, I wanted to explore why there was no help out there for people that have had a neurological condition like mine or a stroke like mine. And I went to visit a charity nearby and they told me that there wasn't much material out there. So that's when I decided to release my video blogs on YouTube to tell my story, to help other people and to not let anyone else feel as alone as I did when I came out of hospital. So I did that because I just wanted to help people. And I continued my diary. I continued writing about it. I went back to work, which was another huge challenge. It was very, very difficult for me. I wrote about, you know, the challenges I faced with my friends, my family, work. And it was then that I thought, right, I want to reach more people now. I want to make this as helpful as possible to others. And that's when I decided to write my book. It took me 10 months and I did an hour a day on my computer um, in the evening and maybe sometimes more than an hour because it took a long time to write such a, such a big, big book. But I wanted to help people read it also. So in my book, I decided to put QR coding in each chapter because for me, I couldn't read the same. So I was worried that other people, when they're unable to read the same way as me, that they couldn't capture what I was talking about. So I put the QR codes in and people can scan it and actually get a visual of what I'm actually describing in my chapter or go to a YouTube video or Instagram post or, or whatever. And I just wanted it to be as helpful as possible. And I also decided because... I'm an ambassador for three different charities. Um, one of them is the Brain and Spine Foundation UK, 
So I'm giving 10% of my profits to that charity to help, to give back in some way. I then became an ambassador for a charity in Philadelphia, USA, which is called the Bee Foundation. And it was, it was because they reached out to me. They saw my YouTube videos. They wanted to post it on their, their website. And when people reach out to you because you've done something for other people, it just makes it a little bit, you, you feel a little bit better and you feel that, okay, I've done something that's, that's actually going to help people. And that makes you feel really, really good. And it actually makes you feel more positive. And, and you think that something really bad that happened to you, at least it didn't go to waste. At least something good came out of it. So I became their ambassador and, and the the one that I'm a newly, I'm actually called a game changer for um, Amelia Clark's charity, Same You organization. And um, each of the charities that I represent, I they do different things. They focus on different things. The Bee Foundation focus on prevention of aneurysms um, and the Brain and Spine Foundation focus on the rehabilitation and the social aspects of, you know, after you've had a stroke and what help you can get. And then um, the same new organisation are more about, they're also about rehabilitation, but it's more for the young stroke survivors. They're trying to reach out to that younger de demographic, which probably don't know where to turn to. So, yeah. Um, I think that is like, yeah, most of <laughs> what what I've been through. I think the main thing, well, one of the main things is that change, physical and mental change that happened to me. It was, uh, it was really, really damaging. And without any, without any professional care, it's actually quite hard to, you know, pull yourself out of it. I still suffer from a lot of um, side effects, extreme fatigue, still short-term memory loss. When I get tired, I can't take certain sounds. So I do still have um, a lot of issues, but I manage them, I adapt to them, and my whole family know about them, so they work around it. And the other thing is that my personality completely changed. So they had to, like my husband said, I was married to you for 18 years and now I'm married to a different person. Thank you for tuning in and listening to Kavita's story. Before we move on to the q and I just want to shout out, if you want to learn more about Kavita's story, um, you can check out our website um, at the survivorstorypodcast.com. Go to her page and you can find out um, more information about her, her story, and then the different things that she's up to and um, the channels you can reach her. So Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, her website, um, all of that. And there's also a YouTube video 
um, her talking a little bit about what she's doing currently. So go check that out. Dive a little bit deeper in that. Um, also on the website, we are releasing journal articles. And then also just check out our Instagram. We're doing a lot of things really active on that of connecting to you and um, highlighting different parts of stories and really bringing that to life in a completely different way. So check out our Instagram at the Survivor Story. And lastly, we have a new little segment we're thinking about kind of bringing in. It might be a completely different episode. We might connect it to this. But um, in order to get that going, we are wanting to hear more stories from you. Um, and we are creating a prompt for you to kind of just share maybe something in your life. And this next month's prompt, which is we are working towards next month, is going to be in the spirit of February and Valentine's. We want to know your best, worst Valentine's stories or dating stories. It doesn't even have to be Valentine's, but anything that maybe is shocking or odd or just means a lot to you that you want to share, whether it was kind of just a really painful experience or a really lovely experience or surprising or shock or just really whatever it is. If it feels like it kind of stands out, we want to hear about it. You can write us on Instagram with a quick little information. You can also go to our website and there's a section on the top right of the headers that says share a story. Click that and you'll find information on the prompt and a little bit of a contact form to share your story. And the goal of it is to share this story with our audiences um, and then also just have a little bit of discussion with it with um, a good friend of mine. So share your story. I really want to hear it. I want to have more outlets for you to get involved to share your story and your life. So please send out some amazing, painful, <laughs> happy, lovely, surprising stories, and uh, maybe it'll make it onto the podcast. Um, so yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting us. Really appreciate it. Let's move on to the Q&A with Kavita. Well, thank you so much for being here and speaking your story. Um, I felt so kind of enthralled and just kind of sucked in and so in touch with kind of how scary that must have been and kind of the really blind side that kind of happened in your life and your family's life and something that really touched me within it was how important it was to have um, a su support system around and kind of want to know like how how did your family really help you to get through everything that happened I think the the person that had the biggest influence was definitely my husband. He was there 24 hours at the hospital. And even when I came home, he was, you know, with me the whole time. And all he wanted was for me to get better. And he would do lots of things to, you know, enable me to make my... He used to even give me motivational quotes every morning. <laughs> Like he would 
talk to me and make me understand and sort of say you need to do this or you need to do that and you know the writing bit and all of that kind of thing it was he was the biggest uh, influential person I would say but then I had my my children which you know Hmm. even though they couldn't do much around me my daughter was a little bit older so she would like help me me get dressed and you know wash and all of that kind of thing but she couldn't really do a lot but what they did help was give me that focus of you know when I saw them every day I wanted to get better to be able to be their mum again because it was it felt like they were looking Mm -hmm. after me and my I had my cousins around me my sisters and my brother and my my mother-in-law as well who again was she was just amazing like she would cook for me look after me I, I couldn't do a lot of stuff like I would have a shower and then I would have to sleep for four hours it was really really everything was too much so it, hmm. I think to get through it it wasn't just the helpful of um, them doing things for me it was more giving me the motivation to want to get better Hmm. when I heard your story I not only heard like the strength of you but also the strength of your whole family as a unit and um, acknowledging just kind of how much everyone's life in a way had to get put on hold and how everything after this experience was different. Um, how did, I guess, you, yourself, your family handle kind of the transition of putting life on hold almost and um, adjusting to this new way of life? I think with very great difficulty Mm -hmm. um like I said everything was a challenge so my personality had changed Hmm. adjusting to someone having a different hairstyle compared to someone who is completely different personality wise I mean imagine like the kids like my daughter used still says to me you're so different mummy than before so I can't see that difference as much myself because it's me. But, you know, what they've told me that their adjustment, I think, for the mental health side was probably more difficult to the physical side. Because the physical side, they could see it. They could see it and then they could see the improvements. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, they felt better afterwards. But with the, the neurological side, it was difficult because... One in five people have a neurological condition. That's an, that's a fact. So it's actually very, very, very mm, common. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, it's, um, yeah, I think that was the hardest part for them to adjust to. But at the end of the day, mm. I was their mum. I was the wife. I was the daughter. I was the sister. Mm-hmm. So everyone had to, they had to adapt and they had to adjust. During your story, you talked about, um, especially when you were kind of home and you were 
starting to increase the volume on things to try to almost do a little bit of recovery on your own. Um, and then you kind of realized there's this point, there's a switch of realizing that you needed a little extra help. And I know for me and a lot of people I talk to, it can be really hard to ask for help. But you went ahead and called the hospital and asked for help for um, physiology, for mental health. Um, I wonder, where do you think you would be if you didn't make that call and ask for that help? I think that I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. <laughs> I think that hmm. I've spoken to a lot of people, you know, through the charities and through being ambassadors. And like one person told me they have not left their home for three years. So I think hmm. that to build up the confidence to make the understanding of, you know, going through something like that, you absolutely need to have some professional help because they are experienced. They understand what you're going through and can explain it in a different way to make you understand. I just don't think I could have got back to work. I don't think I could have started to enjoy my life again with my friends and family. I just think that my confidence was completely shattered and it wouldn't have come back if I didn't get that professional help. So I'm wondering how long, um, how long do you feel like it took for you to get to the point that maybe you are now? Um, does it feel like it's been just to where you are now, I guess, but like um, to a point where you can go and start sharing your story and, um, <laughs> you know, I know you travel a bit and to being a little bit more mobile and stuff like that. How long of a journey did it take to get to that point? I think, first of all, um, to get to a point where I could be more open and explain about things, I think it probably took just over two and a half years. Hmm. But I've, I'm now four and a half years, and I'm experiencing new challenges still daily. Hmm. My therapist told me that recovery is an ongoing process. Yeah. And they also told me it will take years for you to feel that you are the same person as before. I still, to this point, don't feel like I'm that person I was before. So hmm. it's quite hard to make a sort of thing that says that, okay, this is the time or this is, you know, how long it took. But just for me to be able to talk about it and be able to help other people through talking about it, I think probably a good two and a half years. Um, wow. But every day is a, another challenge. Like I just learn something new every day about myself. <laughs> what are uh, what are some of the current challenges and what you're working on in recovery right now? So I still have issues with um, reading. So if I'm, you know, doing something, because I write blogs as well, um, so I make a lot of, like, mistakes when I'm doing things. It take, just takes me so much longer to do a simple task compared to a normal mm. person because I have to read over it three or four times before I submit anything. Um, I'm working at the moment, and yeah. even that's a challenge. So, you know, trying to put a spreadsheet together is just like, oh, my gosh. Mm. <laughs> so, it, you know, 
those are some of the things but then also I still experience and it's only when I'm like tired so the the fatigue side of things has not gone away so I know my limits by two o'clock I'm shattered I have to sleep for a couple of hours and then I start again and but the thing is Mm. when I go to an evening party or to a friend's dinner um, and I'm a little bit overtired I can't take certain noises and I can't take multiple noises so if I'm talking to one person and someone else talks on the side it it actually really affects me um so there are still things that I have challenges with every day and now I think because it's been four and a half years wow. I think this is just the new new me this is just the new normal yeah to me, it's it's so amazing that you say you have, I mean, not amazing, but like that you say you have trouble reading, but then you wrote this book and I know you go around speaking and you're telling me that you know, about fatigue and even, you know, some short-term memory loss and um, just all of the emails you have to handle, I'm guessing, even just from me <laughs> and uh, uh, learning to navigate your schedule just it's so amazing that you are able to live this life with all these challenges and to continue to kind of work through these challenges to speak your story. I'm wondering in what ways do you tools and ways that you set up your life to be able to um, do this that maybe other people don't necessarily have to so I learned a lot of things from neuropsychology that really helped me. Um, one of the things that I do is, um, because of my short-term memory loss, if I want to remember something or someone's name, I will repeat it at least three or four times. So it embeds in a deeper part of the brain. I also carry a notebook, a small one, and a pen or pencil in my bag constantly because I like to write things down otherwise it'll just I'll just completely forget it and also it just helps me um keep things in check um otherwise I use my mobile phone that's like my best friend (laughs) if I don't have it I'm lost because you know it's good for navigation you know going places and I'm able to then be a bit more independent because of it and I also use the notes on there. So I have like so many different files and folders that I put on there. But I have to label everything so clearly because my brain sort of works very black and white now. So that middle ground has disappeared completely. So everything's either right or wrong or, you know, whatever I read, I think that's what it means. Like today... We went to get, we went shopping today and I picked up a bottle of rosé lemonade. So I said to my husband, so is that rosé with lemonade? And he goes, no, it's it's pink lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, it, it's, it's just how my brain works now. Hmm. Um, and I never used to be like that. So I just have to, I make a joke out of things and even... When the kids tell me a joke, I do not understand what they mean because I've lost that sense of, you know, normality. So the, before mm. they tell me the joke, they tell they say to me, "Mummy, it's an inside joke. And then they tell me the joke. So I'm ready to laugh. 
Otherwise, I just try to look at them and think, what What are you saying? What do you mean? Uh-huh. So I think the, 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 the challenges that I face on a daily basis because of my family, they all went to neuropsychology as well. They went to therapy so they mm. could understand it better. And that's really helped my yeah. way of doing things and the daily things that I do. But I, I have to be very organized. That is the key. If I'm not organized. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing is, if I have a planned day and everything is planned, if anything changes in that plan, it actually really affects me. Um, mentally, hmm. it affects me. And I don't know why, but it's just the way it is now. So it's quite hard for me to adjust mm-hmm. to if I have something planned for that day to then someone say, oh, I can't do that. It, it's difficult for me to understand that. Hmm. Which I'm sure happens quite often yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just but life I mean, that's... But, but I do but I do get through yeah so I have a task list every day and I do actually get through it because I'm so determined because yeah. I'm so this has got to be done today like I did the Christmas tree yesterday nice in literally two hours um but I would not stop until it was finished hmm. and it's just because tomorrow I have the Christmas tree written on the task list. <laughs> so it's um yeah it's it's just a it works for if you're a working mode if you know what I mean but it doesn't mm-hmm. work for family life because you yeah. have to adjust when it's family life. Yeah. Wow. A moment I really liked was when you had your priest come and how how quickly, you know, you're able to get back home. And um, I was just wondering, in what ways did your spirituality or belief system help you to um, stay mentally strong or help you through the process of your recovery? So before I was, before I was fell ill, I think that I was, you know, a medium, mediocre religious person. That means that I would pray um, every Sunday and I would maybe do a few religious activities. And I'm Hindu, um, by the way, and, um, mm-hmm. and I do believe in God. But whether that's a universal God or, you know, other, you know, I'm quite open to it. Mm-hmm. But after what I went through, it became more apparent that my beliefs and my um praying and not just my praying my mum my mother-in-law my family everyone else was praying Mm. for me and I do believe that because of that you know someone's prayers were heard and I was able to sort of get through but I wrote in a lot more detail (laughs) within my book about my priest visit which is something very it's unexplainable as to what happened to me during that time um so I did write about it in that and and actually um I didn't think that my book was very spiritual but I did receive an award um from the uh, American book fest through international book awards and I won an award for being a finalist under the category of spirituality and inspirational 
So then, then I sort of wow. realized that maybe, hmm. maybe it is a little bit spiritual. I didn't mean it to be, but I think because of what I talk about within the book, yeah. I think that has sort of steered it to be sort of that 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 um, area. But I, yeah, I, I think I, I have become more into, you know, being. It's it's more about being grateful and thankful and. Yeah, I think there's something there. I don't know what it is, but I do feel that I have to thank someone or who is somewhere <laughs> um, for keeping me here. And every morning when I get up, mm-hmm. the first thing I say is, I'm really, really grateful that I'm here. And that is the first thing that I say every morning before I start my day. Mm. I wonder, do you, do you have um, days where you get really down yourself on um things that are really difficult or do you do you typically just stay positive and keep moving forward (laughs) i wish yeah i wish i stayed positive (laughs) i absolutely have moments i wouldn't say a full day i would say moments where i just think everything is going to collapse like Hmm. straight away because i still suffer from high anxiety So what happens is if I feel like I have too much to do, and for the normal person, that might not be too much, but for me, it becomes too much. And I completely break down and I have to sort of, but you know what's relieved me of of those moments is my little puppy. (laughs) Because (laughs) I, I have made sure that, I understand what helps me. I know that Mm. if I'm feeling really, really upset, I go for a walk. Being outside in nature really, really Mm. helps me. I know that if I have a high anxiety, Mm. that I go straight to my puppy and just play with her for 10, 15 minutes, and I'm actually fine straight after. I know that I can turn to my husband. So I think because I've sort of learned what's, going to help me my moments of breaking down just become moments and don't sort of linger on and I have to stay positive because I just think if I stop being positive then I'm just gonna fall and my husband always says to me sink or swim sink or swim sink or swim (laughs) that's what it's going through my head all the time (laughs) because he's like that but I think I'm a naturally positive person um, and I think that's one mm-hmm. of the things that's really helped me through my recovery. I want to really uh, say thank you for sharing that because I think quite often um, we can see just the positive side or just the successful side of people and to really talk about how you experience high anxiety and are still kind of doing things that are very successful right and but it's not that you don't have this anxiety you have just learned ways to work with it and you know yourself and the tools that help you to um overcome it or to continue to do it um in the midst of this but oh i just want to also mention Um, because i put out posts on my Instagram of um, 
happy days and positive quotes and things like that. But I also put on posts uh-huh. of when I'm actually not feeling good because I just feel that, you know, with social media Beautiful. and with, you know, people wanting to show this amazing life that they're having and lifestyle, I feel like mm-hmm. I just need to be real. And so I do put posts on sometimes when I'm yeah. so overtired and I just can't get out of bed and I can't do anything or I'm having a duvet day, which I love. And um, I do put on posts about that as well because, mm. or if I'm feeling really high anxiety, because I just feel that people need to see that. People need to see not just one side of things. It's not real otherwise. It's not real life. Mm-hmm. I wonder how has this experience given you a different perspective on life? Yeah. So like I said earlier, I'm really, really grateful that I'm here. And it has shown the positive element that I always had in my personality even more than before. So my perspective has been that we've got this one life and we've only got this one shot at it. So just make it count. And I think I've totally lived by those words because everything I do every day, every moment, I just don't want to waste any time. So I make sure that every day I do something that's going to make a difference to not only me, but to other people as well. I mean, I have messages that come through on various platforms of social media. I like to read and reply and I'm part of different like neurological groups I'm on the charity groups so I try my best I can't reply everybody but I try and reply even if it's one or two people so Mm -hmm. that I've given them something to sort of give them a bit of hope if you know what I mean yeah so it's um yeah my perspective has changed a lot but I think it's just enhanced what I already had. Um, I wonder what ways has this experience taught you new things about yourself or in what ways have you maybe gained a little appreciation of yourself throughout this whole process? Um, I'm just not sure how to answer that because... I'm not very good at praising myself, if you know what I mean. Uh Um, I just think that Uh I've learned a lot of about what I want more rather than what I used to be like. So I've learned that I don't want to waste time. I've learned that I want to make a difference to people's lives. I've learned that I want to help other people. I've also learned that, you know, life is just not about materialistic things. There's so much more. And with these things, it's really helped me, not only me, but even for my children. My daughter's going to be 20 soon. And um, she's changed as well as me. And um, she's seen, you know, Mm -hmm. what I've been through. And it's actually made her a better person also. I think I've become a better person. And it, I think I've become a more yeah. realistic person. But 
I've just understood what's important in life and really that's it. Hmm. How has been, or what has been the most rewarding part of speaking your story to others? To see and hear back from other people on how my story has helped them. That's been the most rewarding thing. Hmm. When I get messages on a daily basis, from people that have either read my book or read my blog or listened to my YouTube or my Instagram, and they've said that I've helped them with their day. That is that is what's made me really, really happy, appreciative, and it gives me much more motivation to keep on continuing what I'm doing. I think that's really, really, really rewarding. You can't actually... It's very hard to explain what that rewarding is like because it's not like it's not a monetary term or it's not a it's just different you feel good you feel happy um that you've mm. helped someone else and i think that's what that's what makes me feel rewarded well i'm so grateful that you are sharing your story because i do agree that it is so important for <sighs> people to hear your story so that they don't necessarily feel alone in theirs and that they have someone to connect to and reach out to. Um, and I think writing a book and sharing that is also so important. And I'm so honestly excited to dive into Room 23 because your story is so, so inspirational. And I promise it's not all sad. No, I yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's not if it won a, a spirituality. But um, I'm just personally so excited to dive into it because your story is so inspirational and so um, almost like jaw-dropping of, of everything. And I wonder, what, what, where did the title come from? Is that your hospital room? Why, why call it Room 23? So actually, my hospital room was Room 24. Oh, wow. <laughs> so um, I think people have to read Room 23 hmm. to find out what it actually means because there's Ooh. a bit of a twist in the story. But um, so cool. it's, um, you know, I wanted to reach out to as many people as possible. And me telling my story, I, I, like I said, I promise it's not all sad. It's, you know, I'm a positive mm -hmm. person, so it's a positive book, I think. And But it's also got a lot of true elements in it and you know I'm I'm very very honest in the book like I talk about my relationship with my husband and he hasn't read it yet by the way because he's, he's too scared to find out what I've written. He's like I lived it. <laughs> but he, he's obviously heard it from me you know I've done my audio book uh -huh. as well because again I was conscious mm. that people can't read in the same way so I wanted to make sure that there was an option yeah. for them to listen to the audiobook and even the audiobook because I can't read it took me 10 hours to do a three-hour book because I just made wow. so many mistakes wow. when reading. yeah um but yeah room 23 surviving brain hemorrhage is you know out on many platforms yeah what's the best way America. to what's the best way to purchase <laughs> it from you so in America it's on Amazon Target Walmart, um, Goodreads, Barnes and Noble. Mm, cool. It's in quite a few places, um, so it is accessible. And um, 
it's there's 10% of the profits go to one of the charities that I support because I, like I said I want to give back as well and mm-hmm. it's um, it's got references in there of where you can reach out to not just for UK but also for the USA um because I wanted to make sure that it was not just a book that tells my story that it actually gives information help and you know other things than just you know what happened to me and um yeah. it's it's got funny bits in there as well I promise <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure what's uh what was your favorite part of writing room 23 it was the therapeutic aspect of everything mm. that, that was going through my head to be taken out as a release mechanism on paper um well actually on computer half the time <laughs> um but it mm. really helped me through my recovery that it was therapeutic to actually tell my story and write everything out in my experience that's that's what makes books so good is when the author is getting something just from writing it if that makes sense so i'm 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 super excited to to check into this because it it really feels like you poured your heart and soul into room 23 (laughs) i'm excited for you to read it (laughs) yes (laughs) please don't forget to put a review on because it's so important the reviews because they then are an option for people to actually read before they buy the book and they can see if it would help them or not. It's it's just really important. So yeah, (laughs) I would love a review afterwards. Yes. Um, So we're going to switch gears. I have three last questions I ask every guest. Okay. The first question is, can you name, you don't have to necessarily name a person, but just speak to a person or persons who have that you are really grateful for that has helped you along this way so like someone that i know or someone that i aspire to um anyone who you're just grateful for that has helped you okay i think i dedicated my book to my husband um and Mm. if i had to say it over and over again i would just be really really thankful that he was my partner and he was the one who helped me through my whole experience and challenges and everything and he stuck by me even though I'm a different person to him now he's still with me <laughs> so yeah I'm really really grateful for him <laughs> so sweet um our next question which I already want to answer is room 23 but <laughs> the question is is there any um fiction or non-fiction book that you just really enjoy that you might want to shout out there for people to to read so definitely room 23 because <laughs> it was really really <laughs> important for, well it, you know I wrote it to help people and that was the only reason but there was another book yeah. that I read um during the time that I was writing room 23 and it was by Dr Wayne Dyer um, I can see clearly now and that really gave me a lot of motivation through my recovery mm. Um, I think that's a definite recommendation to anyone who's going through anything. Awesome. Thank you. Um, and we'll have a link for your book and everything that you're doing, um, as well as the Dr. Wayne Dyer book on our website. So when people go there, they can just click and then immediately 
go to check it out and even purchase it on like Amazon or something like that. Amazing. Yeah. And um, the last question I have for you is if you could look someone in the eye who has experienced similar hardships, what would you tell them? It's really important to believe in yourself. It's really important to understand who you are and, you know, have that vision of where you want to get to. Because if you keep that vision going and wake up with it every day, you can actually get to it and you can actually achieve it. And I think that's really, really important. Well, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story. I'm really grateful to have been able to just hear it and really dive into your experience. And I'm so excited for other people to hear it, to dive into Room 23, to really find someone to attach onto to help them on their journey. Um, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you for joining us through Kavita's story, through this Q&A. We really appreciate your presence and your interaction here. Again, you can check out the website for more information on Kavita, where to find her, what she's doing. Check out our journal articles we're releasing. Check us out on Instagram, interact, say hi. And then, yeah, if you have a story about Valentine's or dating, please reach out to us. We want to be featuring that next month. Um in some way or some form. Um, so yeah, reach out, connect. Uh, really appreciate everything you're doing here, every part of the process of you sharing your story and staying connected and walking through this healing process of storytelling with us. Um, so I hope you have an amazing day, week, and always remember to be gentle with your heart. Take care. Mm -hmm.